Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, the ASX is up over 10% this year. That's the ASX 200. And although it's a little off its highs over the last couple of months, it's a pretty impressive result considering half the country was locked down for several months. The pandemic is still making its presence felt in many parts of the economy, particularly travel and education, which is still suffering. But we we know that the market is not the economy, right? They're very different things. And I thought it'd be a great time to have a look, review how companies for most of our listeners or the ones that they're most interested in have been actually performing. Today, I'm joined by Marcus Bogdan, Chief Investment Officer of Blackmore Capital, who has over 30 years of experience in Australian equities. Marcus, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Gemma. I'm delighted to be here. So Marcus, what are your thoughts on where the market currently finds itself? Well, I think we've seen the largest gains in the overall equity market. Uh, and the largest gains in company earnings. The 2021 reporting period uh, showed significant uplifts there in earnings of around 25% uh, and a commensurate uplift in dividends as well. And that was really taking all of the gains that that we saw in the reopening And so I think this year for 2022, uh, there will still be gains, but they'll be more modest. And one of the things that we pay uh, careful attention to is where we are in the earnings cycle, because ultimately it's the earnings cycle which will drive valuations and it'll also drive equity markets going forward. But I would have to say that I am more encouraged with what I've seen in the first quarterly updates from companies and also broadly uh, the commentary that we've we've been hearing from the most recent AGM uh, period. That's really interesting. I will say for our investors, we saw this just extraordinary influx of retail investors to the market last year during the COVID collapse. And we just saw incredibly aggressive buying last year. People felt that it was, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime. A lot of people were buying and they've had this incredible run since, as you say, you know, the uplift in earnings and in dividends has rewarded shareholders and many of them are quite new shareholders. You know, they're in this for the first time. They've had this incredible run. And now, you know, we're seeing things normalise a little bit. We're very careful not to use the term reporting season in any of our headlines because it's the literal opposite of clickbait. No one will ever read anything that says reporting season. Uh, But all the major banks have just shared their results and they were very much one of the sectors that investors rushed into last year. All of the big four were in our top 10 buyers last year. We've just had a quarterly from CBA, sorry, not an annual, uh, but we've had an annual from the others. What are you seeing that's of interest to you in the uh, in the financials and in the banks? Well, I think the banks have actually been the exception uh, in, the, in the most recent updates that we've seen f- from companies. Uh, and wholeheartedly, uh, they have been a a disappointing uh, results. We saw, firstly, Westpac, uh, which was trading at 
the, the biggest discount to the re retail banks and that result both from a margin perspective and from an expense uh, perspective uh, was well below market expectations. But the great surprise was CBA's first quarter update where similar trends were exhibited from Commonwealth Bank, uh, where there was significant pressure there on their net interest margin, a contraction of around 10 basis points, and also persistent expenses. And so the, the takeout from that is that th these are industry-wide trends affecting the banking sector in general. So pressure on margins, continued pressure on expenses, despite being in an environment where we're seeing, uh, you know, a very strong uplift in home loans and, and, and commencement of, of business lending. And so the net result of that was that there was downgrades in earnings expectations for the major banks. There, are, there were some positive elements. The credit quality uh, that we're seeing in the economy is still benign and still of high quality. So uh, household balance sheets are still strong, corporate balance sheets are, are still strong. Uh, and the capital position in banks remains unquestionably strong given the, the guidelines that APRA have provided the banking sector. But the net result is that despite we're seeing good volume growth, there is a lot of pressure there on pricing. And then uh, ultimately there's the continued persistence on expenses. So as an investor, uh, we were holding both Commonwealth Bank and Westpac. We've reduced our weighting in the banking sector because we do believe that the, the biggest gains in both earnings recovery and dividend recovery is now behind us. We still think the dividends are safe uh, and, they're, and they're based on uh, far better uh, sustainable payout ratios of around 70%. But the profile of earnings going forward is more challenging. That's an incredibly helpful summary. I think a lot of our investors will be paying very close attention to what you've just covered and, and will be really thinking through your comments. Well, I think, I think it'd be super helpful for investors to understand, and many do, I think, intuitively, but it'd be great if you could talk it through, is the impact of net interest margin and what happens to it when you've got rates at basically zero. So I think for a lot of us, I grew up in an environment where net interest margin was supposed to be 3 to 4%. And obviously that's mathematically impossible when rates are zero and people are paying 2% for their home loan. Can you talk about what you're seeing with NIM, as we call it, with net interest mm -hmm. margin at the moment? Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. Um, uh, net interest margins were higher. Uh, and if we look at the net interest margins for both Commonwealth Bank and Westpac, they had net interest margins which were generally higher than ANZ and National Australia. And the reason behind that is that they had a greater exposure to the housing market and the and home lending generally has a higher margin. And so both CBA and Westpac were able to capture that. And not in too distant uh, history, those net interest margins for both Commonwealth Bank and Westpac 
were comfortably above 2%, uh, you know, 2.2%. But in, in the most recent results that we've seen, we've seen that the net interest margin now has fallen below 2%. And that has been driven by the fact that interest rates remain at record lows and that there's also been a shift to a, a fixed rate home loan which is generally a lower margin and so that's and given we've had greater competition uh, for home lending that has compressed that margin and if you look at the outlook statements for each of the banks all of them are suggesting that there will be continued pressure on the net interest margin going forward. I think you've had the exponential change down now, but there is uh, little in the way to see that those margins are recovering in the foreseeable future, unless you did have an uptick in official interest rates. Yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating. You know, when you see, certainly I'm in Sydney and Melbourne's not terribly dissimilar people with absolutely enormous mortgages. Uh, if we did see a massive increase in interest rates, things are going to get very interesting for a lot of people, I think. So the banks are obviously the big news at this time of year because it's sort of reporting season. Uh, you know, they have, it's worth noting for investors who don't pay terribly close attention to this stuff, uh, that ANZ, NAB and Westpac have a 30 September end of financial year, which is why we're talking them about them now and not back in August, but CBA mm -hmm. is different. Are there any other updates that you're keeping an eye on at this time of year? Anything particularly interesting that's coming out? Well, the updates that we saw on the first quarter results uh, and the AGMs, particularly in the industrial sector, and I, and I do like um, watching the industrial sector very carefully because it is a, a terrific litmus test of what's actually happening in the economy. And so companies like CleanAway Waste Management, which is the largest waste company in Australia and is very sensitive to activity in, S in SMEs, is now starting to see some green shoots as our economies are starting to reopen uh, and the, the patterns of sort of mobility are starting to normalise. So that's one example. A second example would be in um, Cube Logistics, which is the largest logistics group and stevedoring group in, in Australia. Uh, and they have altered their language uh, from what they reported at their four-year result in August of seeing a solid rebound to a strong rebound uh, after the first quarter and on their AGM comments. So I think that reopening play that we're seeing in Australia it, uh, is starting to show evidence of a recovery in underlying economic activity uh, across, across Australia. That's really encouraging. I will say the, um, the NAB economics team send us enormous amounts of content and they're also saying something very similar. You know, large business bank, we're seeing very healthy signs across a lot of the SMEs that we work with within the economy. You've mentioned that you're adding healthcare or adding to your healthcare portfolio at the moment. Can you tell us about your thinking there? Because I think a lot of people were surprised about how healthcare has been hit over the last 18 months. Yeah, healthcare is, is a really interesting space at, at the moment for, for a range of reasons. And you're absolutely right. There were idiosyncratic reasons why healthcare, which is 
deemed to be an essential industry and, and highly defensive. But in a pandemic, uh, how, uh, many of the healthcare providers were deeply impacted. Uh, and if you just look at you know, the number of visits to general practice, uh, the level of diagnosis that which, which was occurring, uh, and the level of elective surgery which was occurring, particularly in the locked, lockdowns, was greatly reduced. And so that had an enormous impact on the revenue and the profits uh, on many of the healthcare providers. And that impact was even wider. It impacted companies like CSL, uh, where their largest market is in the United States. And the lockdowns impacted the number of people that were going to donor centres and donating uh, plasma. Uh, and so that had an effect there, even though underlying demand uh, remained incredibly strong. So there are core parts of the healthcare sector which will be beneficiaries of a reopening of the economy. And we're starting to see that in baseline volumes in pathology testing, in radiology and imaging, imaging testing, uh, and also the need of elective surgery coming back. And so hospital operators such as Ramsey are now starting to see, uh, again, elevated demand uh, for uh, elective surgery starting up. So that was on the sort of the impact of COVID that it had on the, on the healthcare companies. But on the other side of that, there are areas in healthcare which absolutely boomed. And that was particularly in the pathology companies such as Sonic, Helios and Australian Clinical Labs, uh, where uh, there was a very strong demand for PCR testing or COVID testing. Uh, and those three companies were charging $100 a test. Uh, and those testing volumes have been incredibly elevated. And so that's driven very, very strong earnings growth from those pathology companies. Now, we expect the pathology um, PCR testing will be part of the landscape for, for COVID for the foreseeable future. But what we're now looking at is a recovery in those base businesses of that, you know, that broad testing that we see, uh, uh, which was required for, for healthcare. Yeah, I think it's been really educational period for a lot of us when, uh, again, we were raised thinking there's a couple of things that you know for sure in markets, airports and healthcare are defensive, which toll roads are defensive. All the things you believe are defensive turns out not very defensive in a pandemic. Uh, but uh, quite fascinating to think about uh, some of those as a reopening story. You've made some really interesting comments that I'd love to talk about in relation to energy stocks because one of the other big stories at the moment is the extremely elevated level of petrol prices, particularly in the US, this concern about an energy crisis in, in China and in Europe and in UK. Uh, and you, you've made some comments about sort of the value of energy stocks in this kind of environment, but also having a transition plan. Can you tell us a bit about that? So energy is in a transition uh, and, that, and that will cause a range of challenges for, for our society. But energy at the moment is seeing an uplift in significant demand as 
economies start to reopen uh, and they require things like for passenger vehicles, for commercial vehicles, for industrial uses, and ultimately uh, when, when uh, we, we see a recovery in jet fuel. So we've seen a surge in demand for energy use at a time when supply has been constricted. Uh, there, there are all of the issues that we're seeing in supply chains at the moment. But as we move to a more decarbonised environment, there is a great reluctance to reinvest back into fossil fuels, but we're still seeing strong demand uh, for the use of fossil fuels, whether it's in oil and gas. Uh, and so that is driving the prices higher. Uh, and there is a, a real argument that, that those prices will remain at elevated levels with higher demand and, and continued shortages of supply. So the challenge for society is as we transition to more, more renewable infrastructure, transition to more renewable energy sources, uh, that process will, will take time. Uh, and hence our interest in the energy space at the moment, where they are definitely benefiting from higher prices and higher demand. As a professional, I find this super interesting because as a professional, you'll manage this really carefully. You're aware of the transition. You're aware of the uh, the changing dynamics and the issues of stranded assets and so on. Uh, and I wonder, you know, for retail investors, it's quite complex trying to unpick you know, the short-term price benefits uh, versus the uh, the long-term risks of holding some of these things in your portfolio. And, uh, and we seem to find investors go one way or the other. They're happy to hold them now and forever and believe the demand will stay the same or they've divested already and they're not going to touch them. And I think managing that transition is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh so many of the NAB trade investors and also a lot of people who read it, uh, read the content on our site and so on are big fans of the team at Switzer, they may not be aware that you're actually the underlying fund manager for the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund, which we often talk about on our site. And yield really matters to a lot of our investors. We have a lot of older investors managing self-managed super funds and their retirement portfolios. Are there any specific higher yielding stocks that are of interest to you at the moment? Uh, so we look at, I think it's in, important to, to provide a context in the way that we look at dividend yields. Uh, and we look at it in the context of the importance of having resilient dividends through the investment cycle. Uh, and so, you know, we do, we are attracted to those companies which have higher dividend yields as long as those dividend yields are sustainable. And if we look at you know, the banks now, despite the headwinds that we're seeing in, from, from an earnings perspective, we do believe that the dividends that they're paying now are sustainable because they are now based on, on far better payout ratios. So that's one area where um, you can still capture uh, an attractive high dividend with the benefit of franking. The second area that we, that we like is in telecommunications. Uh, and that's through, really through two stocks. That's through, through Telstra, uh, where they have rebased their dividend from $0.32 cents 
historically to 16 cents now, which still equates to around a 4% fully franked dividend yield, uh, and with the expectation that they will get earnings growth over the coming years. The second play that we like there is the Telstra equivalent in New Zealand, which is called um, Spark uh, New Zealand, which is listed on the ASX 200 and is is a component of the ASX 200. Uh, And that's been able to deliver a a very sustainable and consistent yield of around 5.5%. So it's banks, telecommunications. And then finally, uh, there are a, a group of very good industrial and healthcare companies, uh, which also provide dividend yields of around 4%. Uh, One of those would be Amcor, which has been able to deliver both earnings and dividend growth uh, right through uh, the pandemic. Uh, and and it was most recently uh, re, reconfirmed guidance. And then Medibank Private, the private health insurer, which we believe uh, can, can deliver a dividend yield of around 4% fully franked. Uh, they modestly upgraded uh, their guidance in, in, ter- in terms of the number of participants that are taking on private health insurance. So again, that's another area that we like. Uh, and then in the REITs space, uh, there's a company called uh, Waypoint, uh, which is the owner of service stations and convenience stores, notably Coles Express, uh, which has uh, a very long uh, lease expiry over 10 years uh, and has 3% um uplift each year in their distribution. And so they, they're paying a distribution of around 5.5% uh, with the expectation that that will be able to increase by around 3% per annum for over the, over the next decade. So it is, it's important to focus on the sustainability of dividends, having a diversified source of dividend income across different sectors, namely the bank's the telcos and very, very good industrial companies. Oh, and the final one would be companies like BHP, uh, where there is a focus very much on capital discipline, despite commodity prices for particularly on iron ore coming back so strongly, uh, the underlying cash flow from that business is still incredibly strong. Uh, There's a great discipline around capital expenditure. uh, And so we expect that BHP will be able to maintain uh, very attractive dividends uh, going forward from here. That's so interesting. We've also had a lot of investors suddenly become interested in resources, something like BHP Rio as well, all those specials and kind of amazing dividends that people had never contemplated might be somewhere to look for income, but they've really enjoyed it this year. Marcus, you produce some great insights into your thinking and investors can find you on Ausbiz and also on SBS on, on the Money Podcast. Where should they go to find out more about you and your team and the work that you guys do? Uh, so, uh- our website, blackmorecapital.com.au, uh, we hold all of our podcasts, all of our videos, uh, and we also write up any of the changes that we have at a portfolio level. So that provides a sort of a, a really a rich background in terms of our philosophy, our objective, 
and also what we're doing each day um, in the portfolio in terms of providing, uh, you know, updates uh, on, on any of the changes that we're making at a portfolio level. Marcus Bogdan from Blackmore Capital, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a delight. Thank you very much for your interest, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we love hearing from you. We receive fantastic feedback. We love getting your questions and any topics you'd love to hear more about. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.